privilege it is to sit freely and open the Word of God. I read an alarming statistic this week. Next week, Manasseh Wakawa is going to be here to offer some thanks and an update to us. But I read a, just a, a statistic that just sobered me this week. On average, this year alone in 2021, in Nigeria, 14 Christians are dying daily for their faith. 14 Christians are dying daily for their faith. I wonder if we would be so excited to meet if we knew that we might lose our life because we are here. But I'm so glad we're here this morning. I'm so glad we're here this morning. Much is spoken of and much is written about mental health in our world. If you watch the Olympics, it's been a big topic of conversation this week. An American gymnast pulled herself out of, of what was a sure gold medal so that she could deal with a mental health issue. And much has been spoken on both sides of that. Um, if you're a friend of, of peaceful dialogue, don't go to Twitter and research what's going on with that. Bring up the subject of of anxiety or bring up the subject of depression and, and bring up the subject even worse of antidepressants and medication and conversation and you have sparked a great debate, have you not? And that's just in the world. You get it in the church and it gets even more explosive. Have you ever been a part of one of those conversations? God's word doesn't use the word depression. You won't find it in most of our English translations which isn't to say that it's not there, though. Will you find folks who are depressed in the Word of God? Will you find people expressing depressed thoughts in the Word of God? Yes, you will. God isn't, isn't saying in heaven that if you just trust in me, it's like taking two Bible verses in the morning and you will wake up happy the next day. Many of you, have, have walked longer than I in your Christian journey, and you will admit with me that there are hard days. Anybody want to say that there will be hard days? Yes, there will be hard days. God's word, though, has much to say to us about how to fight and work against despondency and depression that many of us do face. And so this summer, as we're going through the summer in the Psalms, I have chosen Psalm 42, and I thought I was just going to do 42, but you're getting a twofer this morning. It's 42 and 43, because 42 and 43, I believe, originally were probably written together and were meant to be one psalm. Now, don't get alarmed by that. Let's understand something. The, your chapter structure and your verse structure in your Bible is not inspired. <laughs> the Word of God is inspired, but, but the chapter structure and the verses are not inspired, and, and what we encounter in Psalm 42 and 43, I believe, is a depressed soul. I mean, just, just look at with me at verse 5 real quick. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? Look at verse 11. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? Look with me at verse, or chapter 43, verse 5. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? Being downcast is literally to be in a place of despair. I don't know where every one of you individually is at today, but chances are in a room in a group this size, there's somebody who can say, I, I feel that despair right now. I feel downcast. Or maybe you're just coming out of feeling that. Or you, you, you know that, that there are times in your life when you feel that way. And let's be honest, it's not a fun place to be. It's not a fun place to be. And one of the things I think that works against us in, in American Christianity is this, is that there are liars who will lie to us from pulpits and who will say, if you are in Christ, life will always be good and always will be happy. That's hogwash. 
It's hogwash. Because here's the reality. The life of a believer will experience test, will experience trial, you're going to experience temptation, and you're going to experience trauma. You're going to experience all four of those things as a believer. And if we don't know how to handle those, the, the, oftentimes the effect of that is, is that, that it does damage to our souls. Someone has said that the Psalms are about us, and I like that. The Psalms are about us. And let's face it, there are times that we're going to battle with depressed thinking. And God knows that. And that's why in his sovereign wisdom, he's given to us Psalm 42 and 43. Honestly, this morning, depressed thinking can come from those four T's that I gave us, test, trial, temptation, and trauma. But, but there is also another reason, and this psalm doesn't really deal with that, and it's a big one. Sometimes we're depressed because we're sinful and guilty, and we don't know what to do with that guilt. And that's God's way of, of just bringing that to bear in our hearts. This psalm doesn't deal with that this morning, but it deals with, with a man of God who, who, who has got real issues. And I think his real issues that he has here are instructive to us because I think at times we're going to all face these four things in our life. As I mentioned to you, I believe these two psalms really were written as one. And so in just a moment, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to read this psalm, and we're going to take what time we have left to unpack some truth out of this this morning. So Father, this morning as we approach your word, what an amazing blessing that we hold your very word in our hands this morning. That, that the words that we look at on, our, on these pages, on our screens, are, are, are what you intended for us to have for right now. So I pray that you would speak to us clearly, that our hearts would be ready to receive what it is you have to say to us from your word this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan, of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in, in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and the unjust man. Deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why, why have you rejected me? 
Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let, me br- let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil against within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Before we get into the nitty-gritty of this, there's just a couple observations I make. What's interesting to me is, is that when we get to the end of this psalm, he still is lamenting, is he not? And so I want to be just completely honest with us this morning. What we're talking about here this morning is not a quick fix. It's not an easy thing. It's not like you go to the doctor and get a prescription, pop a couple pills, and you're going to feel better here. And for some of us, that's bad news because we don't like slow fixes. <laughs> we want quick fixes. But the thing I did not read to us this morning was the, the, the heading of this psalm. Back up to verse 1, and I want you to look at the heading of Psalm 42 this morning. It's written to the choir master. This is a piece of music. This is a piece of music that was intended to be delivered to the choir master. He either was going to sing it himself or he was going to lead the congregation in the singing of this. This is what this was intended to be. Go further. It says it's a maskil of the sons of Korah. What, What is a maskil? I'm so glad you asked. I can tell you this, I don't know for sure because not even the smartest of minds in Hebrew literature know for sure what a maskil is. But but at the very general uh, understanding, we understand this, it's a musical contemplation. It's a musical contemplation. Who are the sons of Korah? Well, the sons of Korah are the temple musicians. And so from this, we can take this to understand this at the very outset as we look at this from a, from a high point of view here. This, this is a piece of music. This is, this is, these are lyrics to a song that's been written that's to be sung. And what's interesting to me is the importance and the use of music. What kind of music do you listen to? Do you listen to music that agitates your soul or music that soothes your soul? You say, PD, are you going to get all legalistic with me? No, I'm not going to get legalistic with you. But I'm just going to tell you this. Music is a gift from God to to actually minister to us. Martin Luther, many, many years ago, wrote this. Next to Scripture itself, the best weapon against the enemy is music because because the enemy hates our joy. And so, as we, as we look at this from the beginning, let's understand, this was a piece of music. This, this was not a happy, bubbly piece of music. I love the fact that this morning, we sang all different kinds of music, but the first song that we sang, let's be honest, it wasn't really a big upper, was it? Oh, when I come to die, great. Lift it up, God, right? But let's understand Every single one of us needs to be quietly contemplative before God, and music helps us to do that. I'm so thankful that this morning through music, we were reminded that there is, there is a time when we're coming to the end of this life. This psalm is a psalm of lament. And what's interesting about this psalm of lament is this, is that, and, and it's, it's instructive to us this morning, it's a, it should be very instructive. Notice the reoccurring question in this psalm. Why? Why, God? Why? 
I don't say this flippantly, disrespectfully at all. Our God is a holy, all-powerful God, but our God is big enough to handle our wise. Our God is big enough to handle our wise. And, and, and here the psalmist, who I firmly believe is David, from, from studying this out, I believe this is David who is writing this, and it's during a time when David has been cut off, and we're going to get into that in just a second. But he is pointing some direct questions at God, and basically what he's saying is, why are you letting this happen? Do you ever feel that way? God, why are you letting this happen? And our God is big enough to handle those why questions. And so what I see in this psalm this morning to help us and to help organize our thoughts in the, in the time that's very fleeting here, I'm just going to warn you, I'm going over. It's Pastor Andy's fault. It's not mine, okay? He wanted to sing three songs. I told him one. No. There's four cases here of depression or, or despondent thinking here that we can all fall into at times. And we're going to try and break them down quickly here. And then with these four cases, there are four answers to that. Now, three of those answers are the exact same th answers. So if you've been reading with me, you know what those three answers are. But I want to I bring this to bear. But the first case for spiritual depression we see in verses 1 through 4, and I would call it this, it's spiritual drought. It's spiritual drought. N notice, notice the language he uses. It's picturesque. It's as the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And you get this picture in the psalmist's heart here is, I am so parched, I'm so dried up, I just need a good long drink of cool water from you, God. Most likely, as I said, this is David, who's been cut off from the temple worship. And you, you and I think to ourselves, well, that's the equivalent of coming to church. In some ways it is, but, 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 but think of a, a, a pre-Christ appearance here in, in Old Testament Israel here, what the temple meant. The temple meant that this was the place where God was represented here on earth. And, and David is cut off from that because of life circumstances. And, and he is craving, he's craving fellowship with God, and he's craving fellowship with God's people. Notice what he says that he remembers. Verse 4, he remembers how he would lead the throng in a procession of house of God to worship. He remembers a time when, when there would be a group of them who would go together and they would pour out their hearts to God in praise and prayer. And being cut off from temple worship has a dramatic effect in his life. Notice, notice the physical effect in his life in verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night, while they are saying to me all day long, where is your God? You know, notice what the psalmist weeps over, and I ask you this question. What are the things that you cry over? I'm not talking about if you cry at a sappy commercial or whatever or whatever. I mean, I, I, can I just share with you? Am I going to lose my man card? I'm going to lose it. I'm watching the Olympics this week, and Caleb Dressel wins gold, and they're trying to interview him, and they're showing his family on there. And I'm like, the wife is crying because she can't be there with him because of COVID, right? And they, they got this video stream of him, and he's breaking down and crying, and the announcer says, what are you feeling right now, Caleb? What an idiot. If I'd have been Caleb Dressel, I would have probably been like taking my little, little goggles off and snapped her with them. <laughs> what do you think I'm feeling? Cut off from my family. 
I've just had this amazing life experience and I can't share it with them. What do you weep over? The psalmist here is weeping over the absence of being with God's people in the place of worship of, of, of his God. And I would say this to us, the things that we weep over have much to say about how we live and the things that we value in our life. I would also say this, that godly mourning is better than carnal rejoicing. I think sometimes we're uncomfortable when we come to a psalm like this because it's about crying and lamenting. And I want to say to you, sometimes it's good for God's people to cry. It's good for God's people to cry at times. But this, this crying, though, it brings up this wrestling in his soul. Notice verse 3, that, that, that he is beginning to say to himself through his tears, Where are you, God? Where are you, God? Where are you in all of this? And, and, and he's starting to believe a lie. And this spiritual drought gets even worse when you look at verse 4, when you can remember that there have been times in your life when you didn't have spiritual drought. <laughs> I think all of us in this room who, who have a relationship with Christ, who have walked with God, there are times that we can point to in our life that were times of great growth. There were times when the Word of God just seemingly came alive. Can you relate to that? And, and, but then there's also times in our life when you pick up your Bible and you know you're supposed to read it and you put it down and you're like, that did absolutely nothing for me. And it's like, where are you, God? I thought I was supposed to find you here on the pages of your Word. And so here... This spiritual drought. And what's the first answer to, to, to this first case? Well, the answer is found in verse 5. He, he asked this question, why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Notice in the answer, he acknowledges that there is this inner turmoil. And I want to talk to you for just a few minutes about this inner turmoil. What's this turmoil that the psalmist here is bringing up for us? He's cast down, he's despairing, but his heart's in conflict. What's going on there? And I think it's a conflict that every single one of us has to deal with. And, and it's, it's this conflict. It's what we feel and what we know to be true. It's what we feel and what we know to be true. Are you awake this morning? Hopefully you are. I'm going to ask you to respond. What is the psalmist feeling here? What's he feeling? Despair, right? He's feeling it heavy, isn't he? It, 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 that is, and that has become his reality. Have you ever gotten to the point where your feelings become your reality? I mean, every time I'm around chocolate cake, my feelings become my reality. I'm feeling another piece, right? We tend to live our lives by feeling way too often, don't we? And here he's describing this conflict, and it's a conflict that you and I face. Friend, as you look around and you see what's going on in the world around you, it doesn't feel good to be here anymore, does it? But feeling is not fact. And notice how he deals with this conflict here in verse 5. He says, i got this inner turmoil. I'm dealing with feelings here, but I also know this, that there is hope in my God. Do you see it there? Hope in God, my salvation. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. And I want to say to you, when you start to think despondent, and, you, and, and that starts to oppress you, and one of the things about despondent thinking is this, that the more you start thinking despondently, the more you're going to think what? 
despondently. You'll be, you'll be sitting in a room dark, and you'll be singing this song in your head over and over. Hello, darkness, my old friend. Right? That's what that does. But I just want to say to you that hope is not some pie-in-the-sky, just dream thing that we do. Hope, hope is real here, but hope is hard. Go back probably a page in your Bible to Psalm 38. Because in Psalm 38, we get a picture of what hope looks like. I don't have time to give you the full context here of Psalm 38, but, but basically David is crying out to God because he feels like God has forgotten him and forsaken him. But he says this, For you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. Sometimes hoping means we have to wait, and none of us like to wait. We don't like to wait. Go forward to Psalm 39. In Psalm 39, verse 7, And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Do you see the connection between hope and wait there? So in other words, this, as I said at the beginning, this is not an easy, quick solution. When you're in a spiritual drought, what, what is the one thing that you have in the middle of the spiritual drought? You still have God, your salvation. It's the one thing you know you have. Your feelings are telling you something else. Your tears are telling you something else. But, but you, we have to understand that, that we have a book of facts that are truth here. And that's what we have to base our thinking on. And wouldn't it be just wonderful if that was the only kind of adversity that we faced in our spiritual walk? But the psalmist keeps on writing here. And he deals with the second one now beginning in verse 6. Where he says, and by the way, this is a case where verses are not broken down right either. And my God in verse 6 should really be up in verse 5. That's part of that thought. <laughs> so verse 6, my soul is cast down within me. But wait a minute, you just told us to hope in God. But here's the reality, my soul is still cast down. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls and all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. And we think to ourselves, this is just, this is the psalmist saying, I just remember God in nature. That's not what he's talking about here. He's using these three geographic places, the land of Jordan, Hermon, and Mount Mizar. A very specific place in the land of Israel. It's up in the mountains. It's 9,000 feet high. And you know what was there at 9,000 feet high? There was a lot of rivers and running water and waterfalls. And what he's picturing here is the second, if you will, the second case of spiritual, the spiritual despondency, and that is you just feel like you're drowning with all of life. You ever feel like you're just being drowned by life? Have you ever, ever experienced standing under a waterfall? Have you ever experienced that? You go to the Hocking Hills, they have signs that tell you not to do it, which is just an invitation to me to do what? Do it. And you stand there, and that water is so cold. But it's not like you can say, turn it off, please. It keeps coming, doesn't it? And it keeps coming, and it keeps coming, and it keeps coming. And sometimes that's the way life feels, doesn't it? Believer, be honest. Reality check here. At times, the problems just feel like they keep coming and coming and coming and coming and coming and coming. And we want to say, God, where are you? 
I believe you're powerful enough to just stop the waterfall, but you're not doing it. And that's what he's saying here in verse 7. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Waves don't stop, do they? They just keep coming. And life at times and present circumstances are like a waterfall and waves that can't be stopped. But I want you to notice here, words are so important. Whose waterfalls, whose breakers, and whose waves in verse 7? Whose are they? Whose? Are you sure? You sure they're not Satan's? Whose are they? The sovereign God of the universe at times ordains us to go through the waves and stand under the waterfall. You know what that does to us at times? It rocks our spiritual world. It rocks our foundation, doesn't it? It changes our view of who God is. And notice what he points us to, though, for the solution here. i got to move so quick here. I hate the clock. Verse 8. Notice what the solution is. By the day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song. Again, music. Do you see it there? Music? <laughs> his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. What's the psalmist pointing us to here? What's, what's he saying to us here? The, again, the issue is here is living by feeling or, or being ruled, <coughs> excuse me, ruled by feeling or living by facts. And when we're under the waterfall of woe, if you will, the psalmist, the psalmist understands this, that the only thing that's going to keep me alive under this waterfall is understanding that God is right here in this waterfall with me. That God's right here in this waterfall with me. He says, by the day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. Okay, God sovereignly moves his steadfast love and commands it and organizes it such that his steadfast love is what's holding me in the waterfall. And, and you and I, we want to run to social media and post all these things about, oh, woe is me, and life is so tough, and all this stuff, and, and wait for the responses, and we find our hope in how many people respond to our woes. Folks, there's no hope in that. There's only hope in God's steadfast love. And I want to tell you, God's steadfast love is far more real than the fake fantasy world on social media. And so the psalmist has to be reminded of God's presence and love in his life. And it's not just during the day, it's at night. His song is with me. And we would expect, okay, so you've described a drought. You've described this, this, this total drowning. <laughs> but it doesn't get better. It kind of gets worse because the third one that we're going to see here in verses 9 and 10 is this feeling of spiritual aloneness. Have you ever felt just all alone? You just felt all alone in the world that you walk in, like, like, like Elijah. Remember Elijah and the prophets when, when Elijah gets to this point and he cries out to God and he says, I'm the only one. Notice verse 9, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? This is on the heels of him saying what in verse 8? Steadfast love of God is with me. His song's with me in the night. But, but again, this tension that goes on in our hearts, this turmoil. 
I think sometimes we beat ourselves up because we struggle at times spiritually. I find comfort in the fact that the psalmist in, in, in inspired scripture here deals with the same kinds of wrestlings that I deal with. Do you find some kind of odd comfort in that? I do. Or am I the only odd one in the room? He says, why have you forgotten me? And, and why am I crying? Why am I mourning over the oppression of my enemy? He says, I feel so alone and I feel attacked. I feel like everyone's against me. I like the advice this morning about turning off the news because when I turn on the news anymore, I feel like I'm the only one with any sense in the world anymore. I feel like everybody has lost their mind, and it's probably me. And I can get into that way of thinking, God, am I the only one who's smart down here? No, no. But notice the physical effect. And this is something that, quite honestly, that we in the church have done a bad job of understanding here. <laughs> there are physical effects to what happens with our minds. Do you see it there in verse 10? As with a deadly wound in my bones. <laughs> that, that doesn't sound good, does it? Deadly wound in my bones. My adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? On, on top of feeling like, like, I, like I can't get anything from God, and then I feel like all I'm getting from God is drowned by God, now I feel alone, and all my enemies have lined up against me, and they're taunting me, where is your God? And whenever they're doing that, whenever the enemies line up that way, what are we tempted to believe? My God has forgotten me, right? And what we he see here in verse 10 is that this emotional agony turns into physical agony. Understand this. Your enemy, my enemy, wants us to doubt the goodness and presence of God at all times. Do you see it there in verse 10? My adversaries are taunting me, saying all day long, where is your God? And let's understand, the, the arch enemy, Satan himself, the one thing he wants to do to believers to neutralize our effect and, and, and our faith in God is to, to get us to doubt God's goodness and God's presence. And you know why? Because that attack usually works with us. What's the solution? <laughs> We've seen it before. <laughs> Look at verse 11. Again, my soul's cast down. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Again, separating feeling from fact and placing our hope and confidence in the saving presence of an almighty God. And, and let me point out, how do you do this? What does that practically look like? Well, the, the way that you practically express hope in God and his salvation is, is by moving towards him. If we're in a tornado... If we're in a tornado, just, just think with me for a second. You're out in an open field in a tornado, and you are in the middle of the field, exact middle of the field. On one side of the field, there's a fortress, and on the other side of the field, there's a pup tent. Okay? Got the picture in your mind? Where are you going to go, church? How many are going to the fortress? Why? Because you believe that that is going to save you, right? If we truly believe that God is our salvation, where are we going to go, church? Where are we going to go? Are we going to run to the pup tents of this world? 
We're going to run to the, to the things that the rest of the world trusts in, like self-esteem and, and all this stuff and, and, and what the doctors are trying to push on us, or are we going to run to Almighty God himself? What's interesting to me, though, is it doesn't stop here. And you would think this is bad enough. I'm spiritually, I'm spiritually thirsty. And then God's testing me with, with all these tests like waves that just don't stop. And I feel so alone. <laughs> but there's a fourth case here. There's a fourth case here. Beginning in verse, or chapter 43, verse 1. And, and I would basically classify it as this. The injustice of, of bad people not getting punished. And boy, are we watching that happen in our world today, are we not? <laughs> are we not? We're like, the injustice of bad people not getting punished. I mean, because, because at this point, what the psalmist can say is, okay, God, you're testing me, you're doing all this stuff, but I'm staying firm, I am coming to you, I'm hoping in you, and everybody else is doing it wrong, and you're waiting like, okay, when are they going to get it? Right? Be honest with me, Christian. Do you ever feel that way? You're like, I'm going to do the right thing, and I'm just going to wait, and I'm just going to, I'm going to be here like Jonah. I'm going to go outside the walls of Nineveh, and I am going to wait for the fire to fall. Come on. I'm ready. I got my popcorn, God. Let's go. Let's start judging some people. And we wait, and we wait, and we wait. Don't we? Chapter 43, vindicate me, O God. Defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? And, and do you understand what, what this is in, in God's eyes? When, when we say, God, you got to vindicate me, and you gotta, you got you to you you show that I'm doing the right thing here, when he doesn't do it in our time, what we're saying is, okay, God, you've rejected me. No, God hasn't rejected us. God's got a different timeline than I do. One of the pages and, and little things that Aaron didn't refer to is, is that God also gives us a sports page in the Bible. And he gives us sports updates. And here's the big update. He wins. Right? Am I right? Is he going to judge evil eventually in his own time? But I find myself worrying about it. Like, you need to do it now, God. This would be a good time. They're all in Washington. Now they're all not in Washington. This wouldn't be a good time, God. When they all come back from recess, do it, God. And he never does it. But I love what he says in verse 3. I love what he says. It's a plea for help. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me into your holy hill, into your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. You, you want to know what we need more than ever in days like this when we feel like we're the only one and that, that evil is not going unpunished? We need the truth of God's word. So <laughs> we need more than ever. I know we're, we're, we're being mobilized to do all these things. We've got to fight back on this. We've got to fight for our rights on this. That, yeah, do all that, but first, get the truth of God's word. Get the truth of God's word. The thing I see here is that the psalmist is making progress. 
when you take each one of these four and you start to see how he processes it, he's making progress here. But, but he's not out of the woods yet, is he? Because how does he end this psalm? He, he's, still, he's still fighting it. And so let me bring to you just a couple principles. I'm going to do this in rapid fire. I wasn't intending to do it this way, but I got to. Let me bring to you some principles that, that we should learn from these psalms. Number one, to fight despondency, we have to fight with the truth of what God tells me and resist our feelings. And to do that, we have to have an armory of promises that you and I can go to at our disposal. Right? We have to have an armory. I mean, a full armory that's jam-packed full of promises, and we've got that in God's Word. Here's the thing, though, and here's the sad thing. And I, and I say this to my own soul, and I'm not saying this in a rebuking way. I'm saying this in an encouraging way. The only way you're going to fight spiritual depression is to know the promises of God's Word. It's not just enough to have a Bible. You've got to understand what it says, and you've got to know how to use it. Because here's the thing. If I knew today that, that my, my house was going to be under attack by a tank division and you gave me those guns that could take out tanks, it would do me no good. I have no idea how to use one of those things. I would probably have to take it and just throw it at the tank. But if you would have explained to me and if I would have studied and learned how to use it, I probably could do some damage and that would be kind of fun actually. We know the enemy's coming. We, we know what it's like to feel despondent and depressed. Do you know how to use the ammunition that God's given you? And I want to say at this point too, sometimes you get so deep in it that you need some help. That's why God's given to us elders and spiritual leaders to help us. And I want to say this and encourage us. You build this armory in the good times in your life. Don't try to build the armory when you're going through the depression. That doesn't work. Because you're barely hanging on. You build it in good times and then you learn how to preach it to your own heart. <laughs> you realize God, if you're the child of God, you've got the spirit of God in you and you've got the word of God, you can be your best preacher. You really can. You can preach the word of God to your own heart. The second thing I want to draw our attention to is, is true hope, rooted in the promises of God, brings action. Hope, yeah, I know we're supposed to wait in hope, but it brings action. And, and, and notice, and, and I want you to read through this song, these psalms again this week. I will praise you. I will glorify you. I will do this. Whether or not I'm feeling it, I'm going to do it. I think one of the most God-glorifying things that you and I can do in hardship is to praise his name even though we don't feel like it. Thirdly, I want to remind you, you can take your troubles, you can take your questions, you can even take your complaints to God. We see this here in the psalm. Again, note the pointedness of his wise why have you rejected me? Why, why, why are you leaving me downcast here? But there's a fourth point I want to make, and I want to leave you with this. This is the beauty of God's plan for our time, the local church. Because at any point, 
there's a group of us who are fighting the fight of our lives, it feels like. Some of you are struggling right now with news about your jobs, news about your health. Some of you have found out that there are mandates that are going to affect you. And you know, more than ever, you need, you need the encouragement of God's people. And that's why as God's people, when we're going through this, we need to be prepared not just for ourselves, but for our brothers and sisters to point them to the hope in God's word. Oh, we need it more than ever. And as the days get more evil, we're going to need it more than ever, church. Every Sunday that we're allowed to gather, we ought to all be doing our best effort to get here, to, be, to, to, to look one another in the face, to, to say how much we love one another, we're praying for one another, how much we're in this together, because there's coming a day probably where we're not going to have this benefit. We're here to point one another to Christ. That's just not an interesting little buzzword we put on our doors and on our letterhead. That's really why we're here. We're here to point, point others and ourselves to Christ. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Oh, Father, what, what a blessed truth that you, that you are our God, that you are our salvation. And I pray for those today in this room, under the sound of my voice, who, who, who cannot say honestly that you are their salvation. May today be the day that they realize that you are their salvation. But for those of us, Lord, as your children, who, who walk through tough times, we, we go through difficulty, we, 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 battle, we battle at times the spiritual drought, we battle that drowning of, of life circumstances, we battle feeling alone, we battle when, when evil triumphs all around us. Oh God, I pray that our hope would truly be in you. I pray that that, that would be a testimony of your greatness to a world that watches us, and to our brothers and sisters. Help us to be a people that are pointing one another to Christ, even when we're not feeling it. Even when we're not feeling it, I pray. We love you, God. We pray for our brothers and sisters around the world. We pray for the church in Nigeria this morning, Father. Those courageous souls that, that meet, those courageous souls that are sharing the good news of Christ. Lord, we pray that you would encourage them. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Myanmar. Lord, we're thankful for the, the things that we've seen in India, and we pray for our brothers and sisters in there, and there's so many other across this globe. And God, we look forward to the day when we will join the chorus of all believers from all peoples, tribes, and nations at your throne, where we will never again experience that spiritual drought. <laughs> where, where we will be constantly be fed by, by your rivers of waters. And until then, may we be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.